Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and with me is Steve Otterstrom. Steve, how are you doing this week, sir? <laughs> well, um, I'm optimistic, I guess. <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> optimistic. You know, I don't want to give away our, our title yet or anything, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have anything in particular that happened this week. I, I worked... Um, had quite a bit of work actually. I had a couple of all-nighters, which you know left me a little bit tired. But um, it's it's better to have a work that leaves you tired than uh, no work that leaves you anxious. <laughs> well, and having no work at all can certainly be tiring as well, too. For that, matter. yes, yes, um, the emotional toll um, is, I think, much higher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, when you are looking for something and you're spinning your wheels and, and not getting, you know, where you hope to be. So yeah, it was a good week. I, I've, I've been, uh, shifting, uh, from doing a lot of production work for, you know, training calls and things like that to, mm-hmm. uh, more training and facilitating, which is really where I find my happy spot. I yeah. don't mind doing the production and I, and I, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, since, um, well, furlough began, <laughs> uh, for yes. me and, and, um, and then turned into being laid off. And, um, but since that began, I've had an opportunity to sit on, you know, I bet it would be thousands of, of training and development calls and, and listen to how so many facilitators do it. And, and, and fortunately, most of them are just really highly skilled. There's maybe been a few where, <laughs> I cringed a couple of times, but most of them have been really highly skilled and, and had an opportunity to just steal little tidbits from them. And so I feel like, yeah. uh, you know, my, my facilitation skills have really been honed in over this time and, and to be able to move back into doing more facilitation, um, is, is really encouraging for yeah. me because that's, yeah. that's where I'm happiest. That's what I really enjoy doing. Well, that's awesome. And and then just real quick for our audience, those folks that aren't in the virtual training world, production is just handling the technology while somebody else, Zoom or whatever the platform might be, is, is facilitating the training. And so Steve's been spending a lot of times, he might be on the camera here or there, but he's really kind of more beside, behind the scenes, behind making the scenes. sure everybody's getting connected and doing what they should be doing and so on. So, well, good. I'm glad that it's, it's helping you get some more facilitation as well as honing those skills. That's that's awesome. I know my week has been a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, kind of as as mentioned last week, we we had a death and an untimely death. I don't know that there is such thing as a timely death, but anyhow, <laughs> we had a death, and I, I think some of the whirlwind of that was uh, kind of catching up with me. Uh, I don't know what stage of grief I might be in, but it was just a bit of a whirlwind. Some fuzzy thoughts and took a bit to keep my feet underneath me and mm-hmm. uh, work is stepping up. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a pretty good sized project and we're nearing the end. And that's when a lot of the loose strings become evident. And so it's uh, it's been a week that I've had to grapple to keep my head above water uh, as far yeah. as keeping my sanity, but uh, doing, doing good now. But I, I, I like, as you started off, you know, in the end, I'm very optimistic and, you and I had some conversation. I think that's what kind of nat- naturally led to us to want to talk about this today. Um, do you want to 
kind of jump in and explain or you want me to just roll sure, with it? Sure, sure. No, <laughs> jump in. You're doing great. You're doing great. But yeah, we, we had a conversation and, and, you know, for those of you who only hear us uh, when these podcasts come out, uh, Leonard and I, you know, we've, I feel like we've known each other for decades, but it's really only been about three years. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we became pretty much instant friends from, well, yeah. almost from the that my first time uh, <laughs> Leonard interviewed me for the job I had that I got furloughed from and then laid off of. Oh. Um, wasn't my boss, but it was a team interview. And, and um, you know, I think from that, you know, we, we, we kind of became friends, I think, on that very first call and then got the job. We, we um, uh, did a few projects together. And, and I don't think there's a week that's gone by since when we haven't had at least two or three conversations a week about all kinds of things. So we were talking last night and, um, you know, wh what were we going to do for this podcast? Because we have uh, Britt Andretta coming next week. And so yes. we didn't we didn't try and and put someone on either side of it because hey we got to have the the time available <laughs> uh, when we get when we get a name like that we want to make sure that um, that we have that time available so we were talking last night well what what do we want to talk about and both of us kind of had this the same thought you know we're ready to talk about something upbeat <laughs> yeah. we, we we want we want to have a, a um a optimistic or a, a hopeful experience and and even just wondering why we were both feeling that way i think there's just been so much that has happened uh in the last few weeks you know we we um we've seen the government go through a, a big change um uh for me, uh, this won't come as a surprise to anyone. I'm not trying to get political, but I am certainly a bleeding heart liberal <laughs> um, with, with some conservative tones in there as well at times. Um, but, you know, for me, and especially looking at some of the, the things that I, I, I really wasn't pleased to see happening under our former administration, you know, I know some people are, are, are getting stressful as they see the pen fly across the page. But for me, it's almost like another weight just taken off my shoulders every time that happens, especially with with issues like immigration. You know, I um, worked for many years. Well, you know, I've, I've lived in South America. I worked for many years uh, with people from all over um, Central and, and South America. I speak Spanish um, and I've, I've helped people fill out their immigration forms. Um, I've been really in the trenches with it. And, um, and, and, and I have close friends and family that, that have, have dealt with uh, immigration issues as well, even, even as much as, um, uh, you know, one individual that had to go into hiding um, had never done anything wrong while here, was married to an American citizen, had children who were, um, of course, American citizens, and yet had to go into hiding so that their family wouldn't get torn apart. And um, to see some of these strokes of the pen take place has just made me feel hopeful that maybe we can move beyond some of the more hateful sides of our culture. Yeah. And as you and I talk to Steve, it's not, uh, I mean, obviously there's plenty of hope for plenty of people around having a new president, but of course we're still in the early stages of a new year as well. And there's something mm -hmm. magical about flipping that calendar. <laughs> Isn't moving, there? <laughs> yeah. You know, moving from one year to the next. And, uh, you know, we've 
I'm sure we all know the mantra or the the saying that 2020 is a year we will not soon forget. Well, you know, here it is 30 month, 30 days in or so, and it's really, honestly, not much different, is it? However, that there's something significant about kind of turning that leaf and turning that page. And that's what I shared too, you know, even regardless of where you sit on the political perspective, yeah. perspective, just having something different is almost exciting because 2020 was not a year that too many people were thrilled with, regardless of reasoning. <laughs> and so it just is almost refreshing. So we really <laughs> wanted to, we really wanted to kind of talk about hope today and, and dissect that a little bit and figure out what, what gives, maybe not what gives us hope, but why do we have hope and how does hope help us or uh, just just some dialogue around that. So. How do you gain it, you know, when you need it the most? That's However, such a question. Before we go into that, you, you said a new word that I love. I know it was on accident, but perspectrum. <laughs> perspectrum. Yes. Yes. I, I'm I gonna think, copyright that. <laughs> I think that I think I think I hope to gain some perspectrum today because <laughs> Well, you know, we always you talk... are on the spectrum, <laughs> exactly. Based on your perspective, <laughs> it really is a genius word. And so, um, we may be on different areas of the perspectrum, but we might be perceiving things roughly the same. Just to... <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> on a different area of it, yeah. You know, and, and talking about hope, um, you know, oftentimes we, when we do these podcasts, is we, you know, we think about it from a story perspective, and and um, I'm just curious. You know, what what was it like for little Leonard? Um, going back to your childhood, um, were you a hopeful child? Were you, um, or was it something that came around Christmas and you know birthdays? Oh, gosh. <laughs> the, the, yeah. That's that's when the hope hit, or um, or do you not recall much um, of that? Like the role optimism may or may not have played in in your childhood. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a great question, Steve. Um, I, just kind of reflecting back, I, I don't know that I was necessarily an optimistic child. I know, it, it, here's what I do know. I'll, I'll lay it out this way and let, let you and our audience decide, I guess. <laughs> uh, my personality tends to be a little bit cynical, and a little bit on the negative connotation side, but I'm not necessarily a person that runs around depressed either. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I can be very cynical and very biting in my humor, and I have to be very cautious about that, uh, as not everybody appreciates it for some strange reason. Um, so <laughs> I, I, to me, that seems contrary to hope, I guess, or contrary to that positivity or optimism you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, I do like to sort of poke holes in um, people's perception of things. So it's probably not the most optimistic thing to do. How, how about you, Steve? Any reflections on your childhood? Oh, maybe a few, but I, I just want to hear more about you popping these hope bubbles. <laughs> well, I like to call I had, it I hadn't had really, really ever thought about you as being a hope bubble popper. Um, well, some, somewhere in I don't life, know if I'd talk to you as often if, if I felt like, oh, here comes yeah. Leonard. He's going to pop my little hope bubble. <laughs> well, somewhere in life, I've really learned to see, saying, see things from more than one perspective. And uh, so, so it can be annoying or unnerving if I point out the counter perspective to what you're thinking of. Mm. Even though I may not believe that perspective, I can still, uh, and, and honestly, it's a great, 
gift, quote unquote, to have, so to speak, uh, to put myself in somebody else's shoes or to be empathetic to another cause. Um, but I, I just seem to have that ability of, of viewing things from both sides of the coin. And like I say, that's not something that everybody is necessarily appreciative of because they mm -hmm. feel that by giving the counter argument to theirs, they feel that I'm taking a side against them. And I'm just trying to clarify Hey, this is the other side and why the other side feels the way they do. I didn't say I'm endorsing it. I'm just explaining just, it. Just explaining. And, yeah. And that tends to ruffle feathers. Well, you know, I, I think that's that's okay. <laughs> feathers need <laughs> why have feathers if they're not to be ruffled, right? Yeah. The the, the ruffled feather makes the fluffiest pillow. <laughs> A wise person once said. And and I think I'm that wise person. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, um going back to my um my childhood and, and, and maybe the role hope played. And I really kind of asked you that question to buy myself some time to think. Um, but as I, as I think about it, I was a really imaginative child. I, mm. and I, and I don't know if that is hope or that, but in, in many ways, um, there were a lot of things I would think about that to me were just a reality that were going to happen. Uh, when, when I grew up, I remember one of the things is, you know, I'd read the stories about, you know, people in ancient times who would try and make, um, wings so they could fly. And of course that never ended well, but I remember wanting to do that and, and thinking, you know, it, it just shouldn't be that hard. You know, you, you, you make wings and you'd fly. And I remember finding this big piece of plexiglass and trying yeah. to, uh, you know, trying to build something that I thought would, would help me fly. It didn't work by the way. And luckily I didn't jump off anything very big, but uh, I always had in mind that the things that I, that I dreamed of or fantasized about, you know, that those were just going to come true. I, mm -hmm. I don't recall ever thinking, you know, I remember, you know, people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up and, and it changed constantly. But, you know, um, one of the things that was there a lot was an astronaut. And uh, spoiler alert, that, for, that yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. um, but I remember, you know, just thinking it'll be so great, you know, when I can actually, and I think one of the reasons it goes back with the whole dreaming of flying type of thing is this idea of weightlessness, you know, that was more than anything. I think one of the reasons I wanted to go into space was this idea of floating around. And now I understand that you get terrible motion sickness with it. So I don't know how I'll feel if that ever were to happen. But, um, but I remember, you know, just thinking, well, won't it be great when that happens? There was never a question of it might not happen. It was just a given, you yeah. know, the world is going to give this to me. And, um, well, you know, you kind of, when you kind of put it in that perspective, Steve, I know just thinking of myself, it, it really seems to be, uh, I, I myself, I can see where I had a lot of times that I just felt the same way. I guess for me, I always sort of viewed that more of, of some kind of self-confidence that didn't need to be there. <laughs> this inner <laughs> self-confidence that was too confident, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I, in that regard, I can certainly relate to what you're saying there. And, you know, I, th I think it's interesting because, like, you look at children and um, you really get both sides of the spectrum. You know, like, there's <laughs> there's that moment of, like, pure bliss and optimism, like, this is going to happen. And then there's this also that I remember as a, as a child um, hearing about, you know, 
MX missiles. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if anyone says that intercontinental ballistic missiles, what they call them now, but I remember MX missile. I don't know where that term came from or if that was a certain type, but um, I, I do remember at times there being this, you know, this opposite side where the whole world was going to blow up. You know, I remember having, there was a, there was a, a perspective that if, if a missile were fired, we might have 20 minutes of notice and we were all going to go down to the basement and we were going to live down there until we came out and, and then face the deformed, mutilated, mutated people. And then, you know, so there, there was also this, this other side of it, you know, cause I remember at times being really, really scared as a kid too, when I wasn't feeling like the world was going to give me whatever my, you know, yeah. dreams were. Yeah. Well, I, and you I might know. remember that better than I do. You were a little older, and I think the Cold War was was really kind of winding down as I was growing up. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't a concern for me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I was so involved. I have I have more memories of uh, you know some of the things around the Vietnam War and people coming mm. back from there and so on. Um, but I, I know as we talked about hope, the biggest, one of the biggest stories that kind of came to my mind in my life was when I had changed careers. And uh, so I was, um, oh, somewhere probably about 36 years of age uh, when I, the place that I was working, I'd spent 15 years in food service and the place that I was working shut down. And I was already in the process of wanting to change careers because the hours I was working, working overnight shift, was not very accommodating to having a young family. And so I knew that I wanted to make a change and I was trying to take some steps toward that. But of course, paychecks coming in every week kind of keep you from doing things from time yeah. to time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But nonetheless, though, once they shut down, I, I, I knew, I mean, I even remember talking to my wife, called Paul up and said, you know, hey, they announced we're shutting down at such and such a date. You know, I think we're just going to have to take a leap of faith and go forward in the directions because we had made some other life decisions during that time period. And, and so that's what we did. And I think hope was a factor there. Uh, you know, I had been wanting to make a change and the opportunity presented it. And so we were hopeful that this would be a successful change. And uh, <laughs> without getting into the whole story, it literally was a process, of course, as anything is, right? We always hope for the best and find out there's there's steps involved. And yeah. uh, from the shutting down of the place that I was working and I did slowly change careers. I had uh, some of the folks that I had worked with reached out and offered me a job back and would have made significantly more than what I was because I was, I was starting over. I was on the bottom rung. And uh, I just felt it put a nail in the coffin if I went back. Yeah. Uh, but long story short, it, it took, I did change careers and it took 10 years for me to get back to that same rate of pay. It's <laughs> when they shut down. <laughs> so it doesn't sound real hopeful now, but, you know, it kind of all those steps and all those transitional steps, you know, and moving that direction uh, of hoping of building a new career, you know, and, and just as that occurred, you know, it kept feeding that hope and feeding that hope. And of course, you know, here I am, I'm um, in the same career field, working for the same company I was <laughs> during a large part of that transition. And love what I do, love where I'm at, and wouldn't want to change it, you know. So 
but I think yeah. you and I hit on a little bit pre pre-recording talking about the fact that it's easier to see hope looking backwards <laughs> because it worked out for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, I'm sure that there's some story somewhere where maybe I was crushed and things didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. Um, but I'm also a person, I, I don't have very many regrets in life either. So uh, maybe, maybe that is the optimism you were talking about earlier too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, we, we change the script often when it comes to our hopes and dreams. Like you go to any, any seminar anywhere and the keynote speaker is going to get up and they're going to talk about a dream they had and they went for that dream and they achieved that dream and it was their life's dream. And, you know, I, I almost have to wonder how many dreams died along the way, you know, before they got there. Cause it is easy. We look back and we say, this is what I wanted. We look at when our heart was maybe broken by someone we we fell in love with, but then we fell in love later on with someone else. And now it's all better. In fact, we're glad that it didn't work out with that person because now we're with the other person mm-hmm. and it's just a rewriting of the script. And, and, and I kind of wonder when it comes to hope, you know, maybe it is something like, so bear with me here. This is my, my little mental image here. I've got a little dial <laughs> and um, on one side you have hope you, you can turn it to, and if you turn it the other way, you have anxiety and um fear and depression um and i think actually that that's pretty well uh supported by the science as well that um sounds reasonable yeah the the um like the chemicals in our brain that are released when we feel a hopeful thought or you know that reward center is kind of the the chemicals that offset uh what we get from anxiety and and depression and so it's almost like we go through our lives constantly calibrating that, like to try and get, well, how much hope should I have towards this thing? And when it gets to the point, maybe, maybe a risk analysis comes into effect when it gets to the point that's like, it's not worth hoping for this anymore. Um, there's just going to be too much pain at failure. Then it, it calibrates anxiety, pulls it back. The depression pulls it back. Um, and we point our hope in another direction. We say, this is what I always wanted. And this is where I want to be. And I, and I think it has to work that way. We, we can't do all the things that we dream of. Um, and maybe hope actually just helps us write a success story at the end. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> I, there's no question. That I, I think the op, I, I like what you're saying. The opposite of that is is that, that anxiety and all that. And I, I know, you know, as we talk about it, optimism, resiliency, all, all of these terms to me are almost interchangeable as we talk about it. Um, and there's just so much that comes into play where if we don't have it, then it seems to me that we're in a position of being somewhat of a melancholy or, um, you know, not that a person's a depressed person because of circumstance, but certainly we, we just have to have hope to move forward. That's all. I, I don't mm-hmm. have anything profound to say. <laughs> we just have to have hope, you know? I mean, and, and you think of it, everybody does. So to some measure, we all have hope. You know, the, the little child that's going to school is hopeful of going to school, you know, when they've mm-hmm. never been before. They don't know what that means, what that's going to look like, how it's going to feel. But there is an element of hope. And sure, maybe that's built in because of their family and their support network encourages it. But uh it, it is really what kind of keeps us driving forward and keeps us moving. 
I think the question is, you know, I, mean, I don't think there's any doubt that it, it fuels um, our ambitions. It helps us continue when it doesn't make sense to continue, because honestly, a lot of times it doesn't make sense. Um, if we run the math, it, it seems like, well, you know what, things are not going to get better. And, and so no reason to continue on. But, you know, it does fuel us and it does keep us moving forward. So I guess the question for me is, how do you how do you tap into that? How do you or do you just have to wait for it to come? Because it's easy for me to say, well, I always look, try and look on the bright side, or I always try and do this, or I always try and do that. Um, but on the same note, I feel like while I don't believe that our emotions are completely outside of our control, as I get older and as I, especially as I have experience with other people um, who are dealing with emotions that they would never choose for themselves, I, I come more and more to the conclusion that our emotions are not as much in my control as I thought they were, you know, just say, think happy thoughts or be happy isn't terribly effective. So how do we get to that point? How do we, how do we, how do we get hope when there is no hope? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steve, we've, we've just crossed from a psychological to a spiritual question in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Oh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, and it is for me, it really is a matter of faith. I mean, and that's, that's where my hope comes from ultimately is my faith system, my belief system. And so uh, maybe that's a question you should be answering. <laughs> should be You're the answering. one professing to be an atheist. <laughs> cause, uh, yeah. I mean, cause, cause that is, you know, I mean, as, as a person of faith, you, you know, the, it may sound cliche to a lot of folks that are not in the church mm-hmm. world or, or uh, in the faith, faith as I am, but you know, we, we have a future hope. We have an eternal hope. And that's something that helps us continue to go forward. And it's the belief system that there is something bigger than ourselves and something bigger than what we immediately see surrounding us. And that's what keeps us going. So that, well, that would well, be my answer. <laughs> but I'm not sure what you would answer. <laughs> well, I don't know either. I That's why I asked you. And then you gave an answer that <laughs> doesn't work as well for me. Um, exactly. Well, <laughs> there's my my poking at hope for you there. Those bubbles <laughs> but, that you were wondering about. <laughs> well, let me just poke back a little bit. You sure. know, um, as respectfully, I mean, please, please, if if I'm poking into an area, you'd rather I not go. But let me just poke back a little bit because religious people are depressed too, and religious people have anxiety, and religious people commit suicide. You know. Yes. Um, yeah. And I don't believe it's because they didn't have a strong enough belief or a strong enough faith. Yeah. That um, even even there coming to that, that was not. It didn't. It didn't give them hope, I guess, or maybe it did. I, I, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, and that's the wonderful complexity of being a human being. Is is my yeah. my short answer. <laughs> the longer answer, though, of course, is. I mean, seriously, let's, let's, let's go back to the neurological impact of what you were talking about earlier, though. Uh, if a person is not hopeful, I mean, you know, basically those endorphins are pumping through the brain. It, it, those are the, what makes you feel good. And that's as a result of hope, you have those endorphins, or maybe you have the hope because you have those endorphins. But obviously the reverse can happen as well. You know, folks that battle depression, are not having as many of those positive um, 
happy chemicals running through their brain as others, and hence the need for medication, you know, to whether a person's bipolar or whatever their diagnosis might be. And that keeps that chemical balance in their body the way it needs to be. So we, we you know, so there, there's, to me, it's layers of complexity, and I'm, I'm not sure how you view it, Steve, but there is this idea of a psychological, a physiological aspect that is involved with hope. Uh, there could well be a spiritual aspect of hope for a person like myself. And then there's the physical, natural, see, touch, and feel what's around you aspect of hope as well. So it really, to me, it plays in all three parts of our being, if, you, if a person believes that we are body, soul, and spirit as I do. It definitely depends on where you're at on the perspectrum. <laughs> it does. <For> sure. <laughs> it does. For sure. I mean, this, this word is becoming more useful as we go through. You know, I think you, I think you're right. I think it's important that we recognize that there is a, there's a physical side to this. Yes. You know that we we look at hope and and we look at our emotions. We look at them as like because we because we can't touch them. It doesn't mean there's not something physically happening in within our brains. One of the things though that you said, and I and I kind of want to go back and and um, you know, when you talked about your hope coming from, um, you know, that that moves into a spiritual area mm-hmm. for you. It, mm-hmm. And I, I think some of the anatomy of that might still be helpful, you know, even for someone like me. Um, and, and I think that's one of the challenges I had when I became an atheist was it was like, well, where do I get my hope from? Sure. At this point, you know, <laughs> because um, I'm not surprised at all by your answer, because that that would have been exactly the way I would have answered it um, when I was a believer. And then when I became an atheist, it was kind of like, well, shoot. <laughs> um, I, uh-huh. I remember even just, um, you know, my, my coping mechanisms in the, in the past, you know, were to pray, you know, I would, right. and I would do it in my mind and I would, I would pray and, and, uh, you know, and then, you know, as I, as my faith disappeared, it was more felt like, well, this is silly. Why am I, you know, talking to a being I don't believe exists. Um, and it really wasn't till I, I, I realized, you know what, I can still do that. Even if it's my own brain answering I can talk, you know, in my head. So I like, I actually found that to continue to be a good coping mechanism. It's just, mm-hmm. I can just start out by saying, Hey, Steve, you in there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and even too, from a neurological perspective, e- even meditation, right? Mm-hmm. So back at, as I was growing up in the seventies, if you said meditation, people thought Eastern meditation, which had the connotations of Hare Krishna or something the Beatles mm-hmm. carried over, for, you know, and all that kind of thing. Um, but meditation just simply means to ponder, well, this is Leonard's definition, excuse me. Uh, but in my mind, meditation just means to ponder or noodle over or focus on something and wonder about something and, and just sort of let it sit there in your mind. So the act of meditation in and of itself is not spiritual per se, but it can be. So mm-hmm. in the same way as you're talking about sort of what used to be prayers and now you're just talking in your head, there's that's still contemplative, meditative in its in its own way. And so science proves whether you are praying to who I believe is the correct God, or if you're just simply meditating on the fuzz in your navel, science proves that that's <laughs> too good for your brain because of the act itself is distracting your brain from what might be troubling it 
and therefore it calms the brain and it releases those chemicals and so on. So I don't, I don't question there's um, more than one way to get very similar result. If that well, helps I, you. Anyway. It, it does. And actually one of the things that um, uh, I read just last week uh, and I read this article that was talking about, and I, I don't remember how the study was performed or what they did, but they were looking at um, the tense we use. I don't know if tense is the right word, but the, the, uh, when we use, when we, when we talk to ourselves, maybe it's a pronoun <laughs> that when we talk to ourselves in our head, that um, one of the things that was, I think, powerful back when I used to pray was, you know, God responding, right. Mm-hmm. That, um, and one of the things that, um, that this, this study said is when you, when you talk to yourself in your head and when you're talking through things that people, um, when they use talk to themselves from the like the third person perspective or the second person perspective anyways they use the you pronoun and they say what you need to do is this or where you need to it actually was much more empowering it created kind of a sense of hope in in uh how they were feeling or what they could do when they responded with i like i am so sad Mm -hmm. was not as empowering as saying you seem really upset. You seem sad. You know, and I, I think it's it's just so interesting because I, I I I heard that, I read it, and I thought that's really hokey, that's really stupid. But I tried it throughout the day. You know, and I caught myself using I statements in my head, mm-hmm. turning it around into you statement. It's it's interesting because anytime I did that, where I talk to myself from outside of myself, now we're sounding really weird, right? The, how we how we talk to ourselves. But when I talk to myself from outside of myself saying, you know, like, oh, I am so tired. Instead of saying, you seem tired. Maybe you should take a nap. <laughs> you know, I'm much more likely to go to the, to the solution or to the empowering perspective when I use that that tone. And, and it's interesting because I think in, in many ways that was kind of that nature of prayer and what made it work for me yeah. was um, having that you coming back, which is something if I if I think things out in my head. And I, and I make two entities talk to each other <laughs> mm-hmm. where it, it becomes, it becomes more powerful. Um, and, and I found it easier to, to create hope there. Um, maybe others listening would try this and go, Stephen, that is just so weird. I, I don't even like to talk to myself. So, <laughs> um, well, it, it, but it, it, again, though, what I think kind of comes into play, you know, we, we know that, um, what is it? Uh, psychosomatic, I believe, is the right word. Where we body and our mind, psycho- psychological self, they they do communicate with one another. And so, by putting it in the context of what you're saying, it's it's much more directive to command your body or your thoughts to do something rather than the negative confession would be what I would call it. When you know, I'm feeling mm-hmm. tired, is it is a quote unquote negative confession per se? Um, so, and, and two, let me throw in this, we've not really talked much about it, but resiliency is, is legit thing as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I'm, for example, and I can't cite where I read it, but I do know it's true that from a genetic predisposition, there is a spectrum of resiliency, uh, and how, so resiliency, just real quick to give a little clarity into how I view it is. Uh, just simply the ability to bounce back from a bad situation, you know, how, how well we adapt to it. 
where it, a person who has a lesser form of resiliency, something happens to them, they might have a tendency to sort of take ownership of, gee, this always happens to me. Why is it always me? This isn't fair. You know, so they would view that, whereas somebody on a uh, much more resilient perspective uh, spectrum would say, uh, you know, hey, this happened, but it could have happened to anyone. It just happened to me. And therefore, they bounce back quicker and easier. So genetically, they know uh, science is proving that there is this resiliency within our DNA system. Then again, resiliency is also something we can learn. And so just, again, that conversation you're having uh, to yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, but that positive talk to yourself, the uh, compassion or empathetic conversation you're having to yourself, then probably is building your resiliency because of the tone and conversation that it is. Mm-hmm. That would be my, my non-medical explanation for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm trying to remember now and what specifically the, the study pointed to that, you know, that they thought uh, made that happen. But, you know, one of the challenges is when it comes to our brains, there's a lot of things that we that are observable, but not in any way remotely understood. You know, we can mm-hmm. we can think back to something that happened yesterday, but we don't know actually where we went in our mind, where that was stored, which neuron, which, you know, uh, synapses had to had to light up you know to make that happen we have no idea other than something physically is happening in our Mm -hmm. brain to bring that you know there's just so much of that unknown yeah well and we're beginning to know because of brainwave activity we're beginning Mm -hmm. to sort of narrow the scope of some of that in fact uh you can certainly save that as a off the wall question to ask brit next week because she talks about the fact there's seven forms of memory and she can address that in much better detail than I can. But they recognize, uh, you know, short-term versus long-term is what most of us are familiar with. So there's two out of seven. We'll, we'll pretend I'm accurate on, on calling those by what, the, what I am. Uh, but, you know, those are stored in different parts of our brain for different reasons. And so we're, we're just continuing to figure out more and more, I say we, like I'm involved in it, but anyhow, science <laughs> is continuing to figure out more and more about how our brains work. And it's, it's, I, of course, you know, Steve, I find it terribly fascinating because the complexity of it, but no matter how complex it is, we can all really relate and understand one another, whether it's empathy towards one another, whether it's personal experience where we can help relate to one another. Um, so it, it's terribly interesting. You know, I think as, as we're talking and, and we've, we've gone kind of, I think, past this back and forth a little bit, but, you know, my, I, I still am, am set wondering, is hope proactive or reactive? And is it, or maybe a mixture of both? Because I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, even as we started this out, I gave reasons, external reasons for why I was optimistic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so at, at least the language I use makes it reactive. But if it's reactive, then it really couldn't be something that couldn't be a driving force to make us do things. So there right. has to be a yeah. proactive aspect to it. Um, or maybe it's just the language I use is reactive. But the truth is I made a proactive decision mm-hmm. at some point. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah. No, I, I, I follow you fully on that. So in the, in the end, if we truly are talking uh, pure hope, and I don't know that there's impure hope, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose it has to be that internal proactive in the way you're describing it, right? Because yeah, to your, to your point, otherwise it's simply circumstantial. Um, so because this happened, I'm hopeful. I mean, it's, it's a little like happiness, right? I mean, if I win the lottery, I'm going to be happy because I have more money than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. However, I can be happy without winning the lottery as well. So in theory, the lottery is not, de- my happiness is not dependent upon the lottery, right? So in the same way, if we apply hope, our hope is, in, in hope, in its own definition, I think almost concludes that it's a future event that we have an expectation towards. And so having a hope really points to the future. So it does have to be, quote unquote, proactive in the way that you're wording it, in my view. Well, and maybe maybe if, if we're breaking down the anatomy here, and this is, of course, you know, just you and I <laughs> talking. <laughs> Our you know, but, scientific um, selves. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But um, I, I'm coming, kind of coming to this, this conclusion that, that hope is really just the ability to anticipate a future happiness. Yeah. I like and, that definition. You know, so going back to your lottery um, example, you know, that's why someone buys a ticket is because they have the ability to anticipate that were their number to be called, that would create a future happiness that they would be, you know, and I think, uh, you know, um, just, just an experience from the experience side of things, you know, and I, I confessed at the beginning of, of uh, this podcast that I'm a little bit of a liberal um, (laughs) that, that I hoped that the election would turn out the way it did. I anticipated a future happiness and so maybe I don't, maybe I shouldn't be happy right now, but I anticipated it. And so, hey, you know, my brain is releasing the drugs inside my head and it, it's creating this happiness, you know? So I, I wonder if in some, to some degree, if we were trying to, to figure out how you find hope or how you create hope, maybe it's um, a question of imagination. Maybe what we need to do is we need to, um, imagine where in the future we're going to be happy. And if we can do that, if we can, if we can imagine where in the future we're going to be happy, then we anticipate that future happiness and we've just created hope. It's, it's a dangerous game though, because we don't control the future, right? So we if don't, it doesn't no. happen, you know, so because intuitively when you're saying that, what I figure is, okay, if it happens, you'll be happy. So that means you're going to be unhappy if it doesn't happen. I'm right? also anticipating my future pain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when, they, when they don't pull my lottery ticket, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And it's not necessarily an accurate statement. So it, in, I just can't help but think what continues to run through my mind at this point in our conversation though, is Victor Frankl's, uh, you know, the, the Victor Frankl's uh, man's search for meaning. And so it's that whole dissertation of having something bigger than ourselves to put our, put our hope and trust in, you know, and that's, that's a part of what he, what he argues. And so whether it's, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be spiritual per se. I mean, we can put our, 
you can put your hope and trust in the government if that's where you want to put it. You know, <laughs> a little risky in, in our Joe world. In Joe Biden's today. pen, you're, you're feeling yeah. like that may not be the best place for me to put my hope well, and trust. It, it, it doesn't even have to be in the United States. We are not alone <laughs> yeah. in what's happening around the globe right now. Everybody's, mm -hmm. not everyone, but there are many countries that are just a little bit off the kilter compared to what they normally are. Um, but nonetheless, so it, it, it's, ha you know, whether it's a club or an organization you're a part of, you know, uh, I'm, I'm involved in a nonprofit and I hope that as a nonprofit, we will accomplish certain things. Um, and so it, it is putting, you know, we do it in the corporate world as well, right? You know, we hope that by doing our jobs well, we will satisfy our customers or we'll make X amount of dollars or whatever, whatever it is that we, we fly the flag um, uh, over, over our company and talk about our values and what our goals and vision are and so on. So it really is putting, it's investing in something outside of ourselves. And I can't get away from that with hope. It just seems to be. Um, so what, what you're describing to me is hope is actually just an emotional loan. And hmm. if, if what we hope in comes through, we can pay back that loan you know, that, that happiness, because, you know, hope is in a sense going back to the lottery because it's a great example of how happy you'll be, but how unhappy you generally are yeah. um, <laughs> that I buy that lottery ticket. And until the numbers are called, I actually am spending a little bit of my happiness in this, in this anticipation, my number may be called, my life may change at the end of the week. And I guess the thing to keep in mind, I, I like that analogy and, and probably the thing to keep in mind that as I'm sort of trying to break that in my head and, and see if it works is a lottery is a one-time event. Mm -hmm. well, well, we don't place our entirety of hope, you know, and, and let's pretend we only have a measure of a hundred percent of hope. Mm -hmm. So we can't put a hundred percent of our hope in the lottery. We have hope in many, many different things. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we might put a measure of that in the lottery. We might put a measure in that, in the fact that our child's going to take their first step or uh, our child's going to bring home A's on the report card, or we're going to win that uh, contract at the end of the week. So our hope is dispersed kind of like a uh, stock portfolio, right? We, we've, mm -hmm. we've, divest, uh, we've invested in so many diverse areas that we can keep our hope alive even if we don't win that stock market, or uh, excuse me, win that lottery. I guess right now the stock market might be a lottery, but uh, staying <laughs> with the lottery example though. And, and maybe, maybe that's what quote unquote works and, and keeps us going uh, and keeps us from falling in despair rather than just, gee, that didn't work, boom, I'm crushed. Well, I really like your definition because I think that um, really helps us understand the antithesis of hope as well, which is that anxiety, that despair, that depression, um, that, you know, if we look at it from the perspective that, all right, we're, we're investing and we get a little bit of that future happiness, you know, well, if I have anxiety and so I bought the lottery ticket or I am hoping for my child's first steps or I've got my portfolio of, of hope investments out there yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm unwilling to spend any of that currency. So, you know, like, because I'm afraid, I'm afraid it may not happen. I bought the lottery ticket and I'm afraid I might not win. And so now I'm going to sit there anxious that I've lost my money. Well, now I, I, I don't get to um, enjoy any of that. And then if I do win the lottery, 
now I'm anxious that, you know, because I look, we are forward looking beings. You know, we, we in many ways live in the future and not in the present. Our, our, our happiness comes from what we can foresee, not from where we're at at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, being that I look into the future and now I've, I've won the lottery, it's, well, am I going to be able to keep it? Are family members going to come around? You know, so it's, again, it's looking into the future and not being able to spend any of that future currency on happiness and instead having that, that deficit, um, which certainly could happen. You know, yeah. so I, th- I, I think um, I think there's a lot to be really unpacked from this perspective of thinking about hope as our present happiness based off of a future return. Mm-hmm. And anxiety is our present sadness or negative negative thought yeah. based off of a potential future lost anticipating a negative return yeah yeah and neither one is wrong or right because they're both going to happen yeah yeah and then two let's go back to lottery one final time is i might be buying that ticket for a different reason than you are too Mm. so i have some hope you know because i think of the casinos uh i'm close to tunica mississippi which is uh Number two gambling spot in the world now, but nonetheless, oh. in the United <laughs> States. Uh, but number, anyways, so many people say, oh, I just go down there with X amount of dollars. And if I win, I win. And if I don't, I don't. But I'm there for the entertainment. Mm-hmm. So their hope level then is not as deeply committed as hoping a loved one doesn't die when they're on the yeah. bed, you know, the, uh, the, their, their hope level, uh, that measure, that investment is a little less because, ah, it'd be nice if I win. If not, what the heck, you know, I've only spent uh, in a real lottery ticket, we'll say five bucks, you know, okay. It's only five bucks. So it's a minimal investment. So the returns, it could be tremendous, but if not, it's a minimal investment. And so maybe hope is that way as well. Right. So mm-hmm. we have areas of our lives and you and I could hope for the same thing, but I could have more of an investment of that hope than what you do for the same return, for the hope of the same event occurring. Does that make sense to you, Steve? You're tracking where I'm at with that. It, it really does. It really does. And, and I mean, really, honestly, it's giving me so much to think about, you know, from the perspective of, um, really what is it that that causes us to have not just hope and not just its antithesis but any of our emotions mm-hmm. that so many of these have to do with um you know you talk about people already having decided i'm i've already told myself it's okay to lose this money mm-hmm. and so it doesn't hurt when i lose it mm-hmm. and it's actually a happy surprise when i get it yeah. You know, but it, it still has to do with I've already determined how I'm going to deal with this future occurrence. Mm-hmm. I've already faced the loss. I've already come to grips with it. So now I can move on to other things. But it's still required mm-hmm. that they took the time to deal with this future loss before they said, and it's not going to ruin our day. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's. Uh, completely another can of worms, but I'll throw it out here. We don't need have time to get into it now. But that's the distinction, what you just summarized right there. It's the distinction between an abundance mindset 
and a poverty mindset. Mm. So the abundance mindset says, I can afford to invest hope in all of these things. And even if they don't happen, I have more hope to invest in the future. Where the poverty mindset says, I only have a pie this big. And once I spend that pie, I'm out. So I have to better not spend any how I spend this pie. Yeah. And that's another whole psychological thing that I I don't know if we'll dedicate a podcast to it, (laughs) but it's a big thing that plays in my mind so frequently because we have, we all love that person with that abundance mindset that gives freely and gives passionately and never anticipates anything in return because they know they have more to give and more passion in the future. And, and the same with hope, right? We love that person that is naively hopeful, optimistic, regardless of circumstance. I mean, 2020, you know, we'd have been thrilled to have somebody stand up and just smile and grin and say, hey, this is, we're going to make it through it. This is great. <laughs> I know the voices out there, but gosh, you know, if we'd have made a few more folks invest in that hope, I guess well, that would have been a good thing. And I think it all depends, you know, that kind of that Pollyanna <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. mentality. It all depends on if we can believe it. Yeah. Because yeah. if we can't, then it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, you're, yeah, you're blowing smoke. Exactly. Right. And, and, the, and the response, I was trying to think of how I would want to respond to that. And it included a profanity. So I thought, well, yeah. I'll just keep that off of the air today. But we've had that experience as well, where somebody yeah. has hope where we don't believe it is, um, it is warranted. They haven't walked us through the steps to make us believe their hope. If, if they make us believe their hope, we love them for it. Mm. But if they can't make us believe it, if they can't give us the, the, logical pathway or the emotional pathway so that when they're done, we're like, yes, we're going to make it through. Then it, it creates anger and dissonance and, and we become upset, which is really kind of its own amazing phenomena itself. Hmm. Yeah. Boy, (laughs) (laughs) a lot to think about. I mean, I think for me, as we're getting closer to, to, to kind of rounding this out, um, the number one thing I gained from this is just a, a whole lot of perspectrum that, <laughs> that I just didn't have prior. Maybe we can name this one perspectrum. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But, uh, you know, some other things that just come to mind um, is, is just thinking about um, – it from an investment perspective. I think if, if I, if there's one thing I think I would want to maybe take away from our conversation is to, to um, sit down and think, you know, how much hope do I have and where's the best place for me to invest it? Where's the most worthy place for me to invest that as well? Probably not the stock market or the um, uh, I mean, it's going up really well right now, but, but um, or, or the lottery that may be uh, placing hope in things that are less tangible and less you know, where there's less of an an opportunity for someone to take it away from me. Because I know that if I invest poorly and that investment gets called, um, if I haven't invested it into durable um, emotional assets, Mm -hmm. then I I stand to lose big. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, I, I think that's a great place to come to a stop, Steve. Uh, I don't know that I want to add to what you said, but to just soak that in for just a moment there, because that's, uh, I, I think that's well said. So with that, unless you've got anything else more profound to say, Steve. 
<laughs> we'll wrap this up. <laughs> I think I'll stop right there. But I do want to say I, I am super excited about next week. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody's listening to this and you're not listening to it like a month from now, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even if you are, there'll be a recording. Uh, but but uh, we're, I'm really excited. We've we've had uh, Brett Andrietta on before. Yeah. Uh, she is incredibly um, intelligent. Uh, she knows everything about the brain, or at least she knows so much more than I do that <laughs> it's just fun to hear her talk. And she's so incredibly passionate. Yeah. I, um, I know when we had her on last time, it was really we, we when when we were able to uh, get her on, uh, we had a completely different uh, perspective on what we were going to talk about. But yes. uh, George Floyd was killed just right before. And uh, she came on and on a dime, she was able to really help us understand what is happening inside our brains and, mm-hmm. and, um, and really articulate well uh, the perspectives that we need to start taking if we're going to combat, you know, the evils of, of racism and, um, and just the evils of our own unconscious biases and how we unwrap those. So um, I'm really, really, really excited to have her come on again. And so as much of a commercial as I can give, I I would recommend that, uh, that you listen to next week's podcast. Even if you hated this one, next week will be better. (laughs) Yeah. And that was uh, podcast number 11, our first, first year podcast 11. Uh, I don't have the date here in front of me when that was that she came and spoke. Uh, and joined us before, but uh, as Steve said, it was just a wonderful, wonderful conversation with her. And then our podcast next week, again, releasing on February the 8th, is going to be the fact she's working on a book right now. It's called Wired to Become, and the topic is the neuroscience of purpose. So next week, we're going to be talking about purpose and dissecting that, diving into that with Britt, and uh, really, really anticipating a great conversation with that. So make sure that you queue in for that. So with that, folks, as always, we welcome your emails and conversations with us. Let us know what you are hopeful for or tell us any insights you have. If Steve and I just missed the mark completely, we welcome your feedback. You can reach us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. So again, that's furloughed, past tense, furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. In addition, we'd be remiss to not mention our sponsor. As always, we are sponsored by Upwords Unlimited. It's Upwords, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. And they help organizations move from culture to community. So look them up and uh, see what you think about them. With that, folks, we will talk to you next time. And we are hopeful that you will be here to listen. Bye-bye, everyone.